everybody, I'm Jody Marks, and welcome to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks, brought to you by P3 Theater Company, where every week I sit down and talk with a new group of panelists who not only help educate us all, but also help give the Black community a voice on topics and conversations that should have happened a long time ago. You can also watch the show live by going to P3 Theater Company's Facebook Live every Wednesday at 6.30 Pacific Time, where if you have a question on the week's topic, we'll be happy to answer it. Now sit back, listen, and learn, because we're about to break it down. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks. My name is Jody Marks, and this is our first official episode of the series. I am so excited to have David Sabella, Ray Lagarski, and Krista Wallen with us today. And I just want to take a moment to thank E3 Theater Company for allowing this platform to even be possible and to reaching so many of you in our homes at this moment in time. Um, just trying to educate each other and trying to talk about subjects that need to be talked about. And it's time. It's time for people to listen and it's time for people to have their stories shared. So at this moment, I would just like all of our panelists to give you a little insight into why they are here for this topic of, you know, being raised. If you're like Rayla, being raised black in a white household or David or Krista who have kids who are black and they are white. So I'm gonna hand it over to them. Well, hi, <laughs> my name is Rayla. Um, so I'm originally from Ohio and um, I was adopted about age, I would say age nine, but I stayed with the foster family until I was about age five. Um, so I, yeah, so I was there for a couple of years and I met my foster mom who is now my mom mom. And I pretty much, yeah, I moved in with her. I, uh, grew up in Ohio. I had, she actually, she, um, my mother is actually gay. So she had her partner with her at the time and her partner also had a daughter who was also adopted as well. Um, so it was me, um, her, my partner's daughter, my mom. My mom's partner's daughter and my brother, who's actually um, my mother, my birth mother's brother as well. Um, but yeah, it was all of us in a house. We <laughs> pretty much lived as any like normal family. We, I don't know. It just like it was a good. It was a good family. Had a good family, a good life, and I'm happy. I'm. It's a. It's a good time. <laughs> and David. Uh, well, I uh, adopted my two kids. Well, we fostered five children, all total, um, trying to adopt our second child. Um, we adopted uh, my first child, uh, Irena, as an infant. They were all infants who came to us, my, myself and my husband at the time. Um, and then we had a second uh, infant boy who was disrupted. We had a third infant boy who was disrupted, uh, meaning their placement with us was disrupted. So they went back to their biological family. Um, after a certain amount of time, uh, the first one was with, the second one was with us for seven months. And then a month after that, my they called again for my now second daughter. Uh, and we did, we were able to adopt her. And then her mother had another child and we had a relationship with him and we're going to adopt him. Uh, but that got complicated because we were out of state. Uh, at that point, we had moved to New Jersey. And so we were not fully able to adopt him, but we've stayed in very close contact with, uh, with him and the family that adopted him and as well as my older daughter's biological family, cousins and siblings, et cetera. So 
I would say we have uh, through the system what's kind of known as an open adoption. Like everybody knows where everybody is. Everybody can talk to everybody. My daughter's siblings call me uncle. They come for holidays and vacations and we've done lots of great things together. But we, uh, it's been now, my oldest daughter is gonna be 17 in August. And today is my youngest daughter's 13th birthday. So I have two teenage girls. Yes, happy birthday, Faith. Happy birthday, Faith. Yeah. And then Krista? Um, I am 21 years old. Um, when I was 18, I met my son's um, father and my current friend is black. Um, at the age of 19, I had my son, so he actually just turned two on the third. Um, he is biracial. And yeah, so I mean, it's great. You know, he loves both sides of his family where everyone's open for him and everything like that. But you know, it is hard what kind of world he is going to grow up in, especially since I've been, you know, dating his father um, for three years now. You know, it's it's interesting to be in that world and be exposed to everything that goes on because you don't really see it. You know, white people really don't see it the way, you know, you, like I do now, um, you know, until you're put into it. That also raises a a topic I wanted to talk to you about, Um, more so David and Krista, how has your views changed since raising a person of color? Um, I'll start. So my views have changed, I mean, drastically. It's education, right? It's a, uh, I'm a different person and for the better. And I, uh, I related a story on Facebook um, recently, a couple of days ago, uh, when I was first adopting our first child, and I was in the show, I was doing Chicago on Broadway, and one of the girls in the cast took me by the hair and went, okay, gotta learn the hair, gotta learn the hair. So, and she taught me how to do box braids on the banister, you know, and, uh, so I learned I learned all of that uh, really early on, and I I'm actually really good with the hair. I have to say I just installed faux locks into my oldest daughter's hair, so I mean I can do the hair. So, um, but this this amazing thing happened, um, and it was striking to me at the time, alarming to me at the time a little bit, because I th- I thought I'm. Never consider myself prejudiced. I'm not prejudiced. Uh, you know, that thought never would even occur to my mind. And after this long relationship of my friend Michelle teaching me how to do this hair, and after months of having my daughter and caring for this infant, one night at the show, Michelle was coming down the stairs. And for the first time in my life, when I looked at her, And it it changed my my whole perception because it made me realize that I had thought of Michelle as not only my friend, but kind of my black friend. 
right? Like a friend of mine who's black um, and didn't think anything of it and didn't, you know, like, but there had been that little separation. my friend, Michelle, who's black. And I don't say my daughter who's black, right? Yeah. I say my daughter. Yeah. So suddenly my whole perception was sort of transformed in that minute. And that was the first inkling. And that was in the first few months of having my first child. Um, and throughout their growing up, there's a huge education. Uh, you know, lots more than just the hair. You know, the, the culture, what they come to think of as their culture and how I navigate that and how I can participate and bring them more into their culture. Uh, I can't really step into it because it's, it's not my culture. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a fine line to, 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 uh, to balance. And sometimes they have, they take leaps and bounds into, into what they perceive to be their culture. When, and then I have some friends of mine, I have a, I have a gaggle of, of, wonderful female, strong female friends, uh, strong female black friends who are like, no, no girls, that's, that's not culture. That's not really what we're about. That's like over there on the edge. I can't say that, you know? Like I can't say when they've stepped too far to the left or right of, you know, it, it's, it's a weird thing. And as they get older and they get more independent and they, uh, this whole thing with, you know, with George Floyd and what's going on now, and looking at the TV, and I'm suddenly, for the first time ever, I'm like the white guy. They look at me like, what the hell is wrong with you people? You know, like, yeah. like it's not you, Dad, but that's white people. Like, that's, like, so they look at me a little differently. Like, can you explain this? Can you, you're part of that culture. Can you explain it? I'm like, nope, not, it, I'm not part of that. So I can't explain that. It's a very tricky very tricky situation. That's hard to navigate as well. Yeah, as, absolutely. As being just a parent in general, you want to protect your child from the world, but then social media has definitely played a big part in our society today. Absolutely. And I know Rayla, maybe you can attest to this, growing up, we didn't have, you know, seeing all of that in the, in the media. We didn't come up seeing our own people being murdered like that. Mm -hmm. It was not seen. It, like you, you would hear about things that happened or your friends that happened. They'd be like, oh, I was followed or, oh, this police officer gave me a hard time, but it was never in your face. Like it was never something, no. or you had an instance. But now that like the children now, like Krista, your son is gonna be growing up with social media. He's going to see every little thing and and your daughters too, teenagers, like they're they're navigating the world and trying to come into being a young woman. And that is so difficult to do when you see social media play such a big part. And like you said, they're saying, Well, dad, what what is this? Like, what's happening? And you're just like, I didn't that's not me though. That's not my view. And it's, also as as a white parent, how do you do that? It's very um it's very difficult these days, more than ever before. Um, I don't think that my girls have ever experienced overt racism, but they have experienced subversive racism. I see 
when they go ahead of me in a department store, when they are not attached to me, and I see how people treat them, treat them differently until they realize that they are attached to me. And the same thing on the subway. I try to stay next to my younger daughter on the subway, taking her to school, and people just push right through us. They don't even think that we're together, that we could possibly, you know, it's like, wow, there's just the perception of other people about us, like, it's, it's crazy. Like my, they will notice. People are staring at us. I'm like, listen, and I've said this from day one. I said, listen, we are a teaching family. But that's what we are. So people go to look at us. Um, my husband since passed away, but we were two gay men, two white gay men with two black daughters in Disney World. I'm like, guess what? People are going to look at us. And that's why we all need to be respectful. And, you know, just be yourselves because they act very well. You know, be yourself. But, but no, the people are looking. And we have the opportunity to change opinion, to change hearts and minds, to show them that this is a wonderful family, to, to show them our experience. And every day on every street, walking with my daughter, one or both of them, we are uh, still a teaching family. It's just nonstop. Really, did you ever feel that growing up, that if you weren't with your parents, that you felt a, like kind of weird in public? Um, I would know just because I think I honestly didn't even realize that I was treated or looked differently until I actually, until I moved out for college. But, um, I most all right. So we're with Ray Ligarski and if she's going to just tell us about her experience. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up, I didn't really ever feel out of place because I grew up with like my entire family was white and it was my, me and my brother. So it was just, I never really fully realized that I was looked at differently or I was like people who looked like me were treated differently until I moved out to college and like got to see that there was more than like just black people and white people and like just like very diverse culture out here. But um, it was like almost even weird to the point like where I got on my first plane. I think I was like seven. I was on my first plane and I had landed in Atlanta and I was like, I called my mom and I was like, Oh my God, there's like so many black people here. Like I'd never seen that many black people in my life. So it was almost like I had the opposite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a very, yeah, very different experience, but I never had it like realized and never actually really thought about it until I moved out here. That's very interesting. Since you say that you grew up around mostly the white culture, do you ever think that you lost some of your own culture or you just experienced it when you came out to LA? Um, I don't, um, my mom really, really tried to get me to learn about my culture, but like me as a kid, like I. All right, gotta love, gotta love episode one. Um, so Rayla, can you keep going with your conversation, please? Um, yeah, so it was just like when I moved, when I moved out here and it was, I had been out here, I'd been around people like I've never really had like Hispanic friends or like China or Asian, any kind of other friend that like really wasn't white or black. And then I was hearing like their stories and I was learning and I actually really learned a lot more from like the black, my roommate was black. Um, and that's really, really started actually kind of appreciating my blackness. I didn't really, I don't think I fully accepted the fact that I was black until I got out here and fully like thought that I was pretty or accepted myself in any way way so that was definitely like a whole journey within itself um but even when I went back to Ohio like after being been like immersed in like culture out here in LA like 
going back to Ohio was like such a shock for me because I started like picking up on things. Like there was a time that me and my brother and my mom and her girlfriend at the time, uh, we were all hiking and me and my brother are walking ahead and my mom's back there. And we say hello to this like white couple and I'm just like, hi. And they kind of just like, didn't really say anything, looked up, gave you a look. And then my mom said, you know, my mom's just as nice. And she's just like, hello, how's your day? And like, they started speaking to her and I was just kind of like, okay. So I'm like sitting here in my brain, like, okay, um, did it, was it this? Did I do this? And I'm like, it's just like, that was the first time it like truly like clicked with me. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So then I ended up like talking to my mom about it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm just being crazy or like, that was just like, I don't like, it was just like a whole new experience for me. And it was even a new experience for my mom. Cause that's never, she's never noticed that she's never had anybody really bring it to her attention. Mm-hmm. So when you say you finally had a talk with your mom, this is for everybody. When is it too soon to have that talk with your child? Like, do you wait till something happens like that with Rayla or now because of the world we live in with social media, do you have that before something happens to them before they have an instance where they go, was it me? What did I do wrong? Instead of, oh, no, this this is the situation. So they know beforehand. Well, I think there's uh, a lot of age-appropriate ways <clears throat> to begin the conversation with very, very young children, right? Um, to expose children to the fact that families come in all colors and all shapes and sizes. And some have two moms and some have two dads and some live with grandparents and some their skin tones don't match, and et cetera. So, you know, you start that conversation, and then the other conversation I have later is, you know, how that is perceived by other people in the world. And some people don't grow up in a multiracial family, so they might have a hard time with it, et cetera, or they're not used to it. You know, what if you only uh, had vanilla and somebody offered you Rocky Road or strawberry? You'd be like, what's that? You know, so, you know, we had these conversations. Um, with both my kids growing up um, and that's all well and good and then at some point it hits them in the face mm -hmm. and they come home and go what the hell was that go, okay now it's time for a more serious conversation the problem is that what's hitting them in the face now is much more aggressive and deadly and really uh, con conflict it's a matter, I don't know if it ever was just a matter. It's just, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know what it was a matter. It seems to be happening at a quicker pace and more in your face. Again, maybe social media. I don't know what. Everybody has a camera, so we're more aware of it. You know, what a tragedy if all of this was happening all those years and nobody just had a camera. I believe it has been. Like yeah. Right? Right? I mean, yes, I, I, I would say yes. So, okay, now we're more enlightened, now we're more aware because it's being exposed more. You know, I just think everything's coming to a, a big crescendo. I think ultimately it's going to be potential great learning moment, a great teaching moment for the rest of the world, for, for everybody else who isn't black. Like a great teaching moment for all the white people and all everybody. Uh, about what really has has gone on and transpired, you know? Yeah. Krista, I have a question for you. Because you are, you have a biracial son, have you talked to his father maybe about him taking over that role of the talk that 
and famous thing that we've also all been hearing. And as black people, we grow up and unfortunately we all have that talk of when the police are there, put your hands up, don't put them in your pockets. Like, have you had that conversation with him about when your son like grows up and when you have that talk? Um, we've definitely um, have been discussing it, you know, always been something we do discuss just because um his father had had instances where you know something very minor very quickly um you know with officers or just things like that you know um and so you know it has been on my mind like when when do you have that talk you know why why do we even have to have that talk and I think that's what bothers me the most um, and so we do talk about it. I mean, of course, he's two right now, but you know, it's like, why is there? Why is he the only black kid in his whole daycare? You know, like things like that. How come he? You know, I was talking to a friend I have that's black, and he didn't have his first black teacher until he was in college, and he didn't even think it was his teacher. He thought it was like a club leader or something, until he realized that the paper she was passing out was the syllabus. So I think it's just like it's it's hard to know that timing but we have definitely discussed it and that is something that he's most likely going to talk to him about just because he sees it from the inside he sees it from what our son is going to experience more than I can I've kind of just seen you know of course I've had my own um my own experiences but you know my boyfriend being black knows exactly what's going to go on and how to feel and manage things better than I know. Um, you know, like he said, it's kind of a fine line you have to balance on, you know, you don't really know. And, you know, I think also too, we're kind of, you know, parents with biracial or adopted, you know, like children, we're kind of our own community because we see things, you know, differently than, most of the white community and then you know so it's just kind of we're on our own level but definitely what he said about you know integrating even small little um kid ways of talking things in there about how there is different diversity and things like that but I definitely think when the time comes it is going to be a very a very hard conversation for my boyfriend to have with his son yes you know kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. Yeah. And I wanted to teach my girls about taking, you know, their own self-care and taking care of their nails. Well, I had to go have my nails done. When it was time for them to start carrying a purse or a little bag, well, I had to carry a shoulder bag, you know, because they don't want to do it. They just, they just do what everybody else is doing. You can't make a big deal of it. But, you know, and so some way that education has to be like that over time and and it's just the thing you do right and that's hard because i don't know the thing to do or exactly mm -hmm. that but you know say you know you you walk on the walking man and you stop on the stop hand you know when you're crossing the street you know you have to have these constant conversations as they're growing up um so that it seems like what everybody else does you know, so you're not talking at them. It's just, this is life. This is what we have to do. It's what we all have to do. Because we all have to do it, right? Because as a gay man, I've been harassed. Like, mm -hmm. we all have to do it. We have to do it for different reasons, but we have to do it, you know? 
Chrissy, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I just think it's, you know, like you said, you know, it's it's life. It's what we have to go through, you know, and um, unfortunately, it's sad that these conversations have to be talked about and, um, you know, these experiences have to play out. Um, you know, I think that's why I'm very grateful to have um, my, his father in our lives and his whole family in our lives because that's allowing to give him the backup and the things that he sees. And like you said, you know, you you teach him. You say hi to everyone. You don't say hi to someone. Everyone is your, you know, of course, stranger danger, but, you know, everyone is your friend. You know, you treat everyone equally, no matter what color they are mm -hmm. you know, or anything like that. So I think it's, you know, I always, you know, tell him, say hi, say hi. You know, I, you know, I never go, oh, don't say hi to that person. You know, it's always say hi. I mean, he's the friendliest kid and, you know, he's always saying hi to everyone. But, you know, but even too living in, um, you know, different communities, you know, um, my boyfriend lives in a, in a community in Irvine in California that is primarily um, Asian dominated. And it's... Um, it's been hard, you know, Liam, my son, Liam says hi, and they just look at him. They don't say hi back, you know, and so it's happening even at the age of two. It's been happening since he was an infant and I was pushing him in a stroller, you know, and I'm sure others can relate too. And it's hard because it's like, when do you have that conversation? When do they comprehend, you know, so I, it's definitely been something that has been even more on my mind since everything's been going on. Um, just because it's like, okay, what, what age is this really going to start happening? Mm -hmm. You know, my daughters related to me, uh, early in their childhood, my older daughter was five. So my younger daughter was one and we moved to the burbs, moved out of the city into the burbs for the schools, etc. And we spent almost 10 years in the burbs. And then we moved back to the city. We were divorced and moved back to the city. And since moving back to the city, both my daughters have related how, how nightmarish the burbs was for them. Mm. And I didn't see it at all. Everyone was so friendly. We were welcomed into the neighborhood. The school was nice. Meanwhile, both my daughters like, that school sucked and those kids were horrible. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I did not have that experience. Do you feel like... Because now that you know this happened, do you, do you feel like maybe they felt like they couldn't come to you at, for certain things? Like maybe I don't think they knew the difference. Right. They they were they were living in a they were living with an experience, questioning why is that happening? Why is that? They didn't say it at the time, but I will paraphrase. Why is that white you know blonde girl with white skin you know treating me this way? You know, um, and all and they were. Uh, it, very much in the minority in their school, you know, um, and so they were really having a different experience than than we were. And then we moved back into the city, and much like um, what you what you said, Ray, like over to Georgia, you know, my daughter was like, "There's a lot of black kids in my school." I'm like, "Yeah, there are. This place is fantastic," you know. So they really, and I was not aware. They didn't, I didn't even know the experience that they were having 
until we got out of the burbs. And then they opened up and said, yeah, that was horrible. I never want to go back. Those kids were mean to us. Those adults were mean to us. They ignored us. They're like, wow, it was very eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely know that feeling of you looking around and being like, who are also black, she will code switch into that vernacular and she'll change oh, her dialect. Mm. Right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So I was talking about seeing yourself in a situation and not feeling like you fit in. Um, and actually, David brought up a very good point of code switching where you go from one group of people to another and you change how you basically carry yourself. Um, and I've done that many of times where I feel more comfortable to be, I don't like the typical sassy girl, I guess that people would say, and they'd be like, Oh, if, if I show something, they'd be like, Oh, she's too sassy. She's black and she's too sassy. Cause I, I've also felt like with white friends, I shrink myself down. You know, you carry yourself like, Oh, I can't, I can't be too confident because they're going to view me in a certain way. And, be like, what are you doing? So, Rayla, do you ever feel that way? You know? I do, I do. I mean, especially with my friends now, and like most of my friends are either Hispanic or black. And I just like notice like when I go from like hang with them, I'm like, I'm more open, I'm gonna be louder, I'm gonna use honestly like different language. I have a potty mouth sometimes, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll use like language, but then like if I were to go to, um, my friend like my friend Zach at home like and his family like they're really cool and they're really nice and I've known them since I was a kid so like it's not that big of a problem but like I just feel like I have to be more reserved and I'm like and it's just like right. you could just feel it like the energy completely shifts but then I also think about like it's not even just like between like me going between my friends of color but like also just like if I were to go to like, another friend's house and like their family is like black and it's almost like I'm not I don't know what to do because I'm also, I'm just like, I never grew up to be like that very like sassy person, but like, that's what their family is like. So then I'm almost like, Oh my God, what do I do? I'm like, am I reserved? Am I, do I like, just like let go? Like I, like, at that point, I don't even know what to do anymore. So I'm just kind of like quiet and it's just like a whole awkward situation. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we all have that in a certain degree because I'll, go to visit my family down South. And the first time my children heard me say y'all, they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> like you have never said that before in your life. I'm like, y'all, I'm like, yeah, I was born in the South. I, but in New York, I never say y'all, you know? So, but my daughters do that. They go, they go back and forth in, in, out of different vocabulary, into different vocabulary. There's a certain way they feel like they need to behave around their friends mm -hmm. to fit in. You know, otherwise, and my older daughter has been called this. She's like the white black girl. Mm. Like, oh, okay. So she does what she has to do to like really fit in. I can't stand that. That breaks my heart, honestly. I just want everybody to like get along and be themselves all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, but it is something that they really go through, unfortunately. And I think that's like the hard part, especially with, you know, my son being biracial is, you know, ever since he was a baby. And, you know, even my mother's noticed this when taking him out by himself. And she's been she's stepped into this world with her own experiences. But unfortunately, some biracial children are not accepted by either community. 
Right. You know, and it's very hard because it's like how and you you know, you were talking about when do you have the talk with them? You know, when do you have the talk with them that, you know, because their skin is dark, they're gonna be treated a certain way. But then how do you also talk to them about because their skin is lighter, they're gonna be treated a certain way. Yeah. Right. So I feel like, you know, and you probably you know, like you, um, you know, you've grown up with, you know, two white parents, two white moms, and you know, you have two black daughters. And it's like, I think we need to be looking at everything as a whole. Because it's just there is a little community that is also, like I said, we're kind of our own community, because we've stepped into this world, and they're in their own little community, because if they don't fit in, because they're not raised a certain way. Um, I definitely remember going to uh, black churches with my grandma. And being so, like, like just in it. And then I remember going to white churches and being like, no one else is in it. I no one is standing. Right. Okay, right. I'm just going to be reserved. And then growing up, I'm like, I feel more reserved. So now if I go to a black church, I'm just like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I, I don't know. know how to praise the Lord in a certain way. And then it makes you feel uncomfortable. Right. And it's just those, again, navigating who am I? What, what do I identify with? What, what culture? So hard. And especially as a kid growing up and just like you said, like Rayla, you, you know, you don't even realize until you, you went to a big city mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's not around you. You're not raised to, you know, really be like, Oh, there's another person. Oh, there's, you know, and then right. your kids, Krista and David, you know, they're just, you know, you just want your kids to be kids. Yeah. And unfortunately, and yes, and just be happy and be who they want to be, no matter if they're raised by, you know, white parents or, or like you were saying, David, gay parents or like lesbian parents, like you just want your kids to be happy and yeah. be loved and just know that they are loved and, and hope that the world loves them too when they step out that door and you're not with them. And that's, you know, that's every parent's uh, desire. And that's a scary thing about now is they do step out and you're not there to protect them. You're not there to hold their hand and say, it's okay. You're not there to be like guiding them through a sticky situation. Or when me and Rayla step out, like we don't have our moms over our shoulder being like, don't do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, like, are you, do you want to get in that situation? You just have to trust that you raised a good person or that you were raised to be a good person. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard times. It's of difficult. course. You know, I'm raised to be a good person, right? But when you are confronted with such conflict and brutality, you, you stand up. And you defend yourself, and it irks you, and you you puff up. You puff up because you've been like either emotionally or physically or psychologically assaulted. Mm-hmm. So you puff up to protect yourself. The difference mm-hmm. is if I puff up, I'm probably not going to get shot. That's the difference, right? So when my daughter experienced before the shutdown, you know, they go through the turnstile, and the kids, the kids go to school for free, right? A student metro card, they go. Well, when it's rush hour, they just all go through the pass gate, right? So my daughter went through the pass gate right after a white girl, and the cop stops her. Mm. 
okay, well, she puffed up, you know, and I'm like, and then, and she taped it on her. I'm like, oh, God, Raina, don't puff up. Like, if you could just be the person that I know you to be, like, we're talking about code switching. If she hadn't have code switched, that cop would have treated her much differently, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, right. you know? But right. but we all, in that moment, who can know what you're going to do? You're going to defend yourself. You're going to defend yourself against what you perceive to be some sort of injustice or, or confrontation to your person. And that is the thing that should never happen in the first place. That confrontation to your person should really just never happen. That's not with my children. That's not with your children. That's not any of their fault. They are responding to the world. So that thing is the thing that should not be happening. Mm -hmm. right. And you don't know how you're going to respond until you're in that situation. Right. You can, you can think this, these are the steps, but yeah. unfortunately, like, I, like my dad was a police officer. So I grew up not being really scared of the police. So I, mean, I have a mouth on me sometimes. I'll be like, why? I'll ask questions. I'm just that type of person. But there are certain times where you have to step back and go, no, this is a dangerous situation. And you can't be doing that. And I feel like that's also you know with with also by white parents they might see like but i i can i can question authority at times maybe you know like thinking thinking that i raised i was raised that you called your parents sir and ma'am like because i was raised in the south it's ma'am right never had my kids do that and my parents and our family were like What's going on? Why aren't you raising these kids with respect? I'm like, because I'm not having my two black daughters call their white father, sir. That's not happening. They're not going to grow up with that experience of having to call a white man, sir. Sorry, that's not happening. Right. And I, I was very upset with them. I'm like, look, I'm not raising these kids to work at the company. I'm raising these women to own the company. If they talk back to me, fine. They should learn how to talk back. Okay. Respectfully. But you got to have the, the oomph. To be able to talk back. Mm -hmm. All right, it looks like we're about ready to close out now, but I just want to thank you all for coming on and sharing your experiences with us. Um, if there's any last thing you want to say to everybody or any point you want to make before we leave, now's the time. You know, I well, just think with all this going on, I mean, and, you know, fight for what's right, fight for what you believe in try to educate as much as you can. But at the same time, I'm like, me, I was a little bit where I'm like, oh God, I'm just like angry all the time. And so, I mean, I just urge people, you know, like take a moment to like step back and reflect and think and still take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've had a war experience raising my children, an experience that I would not have had if they were, if they had the same amount of melanin as I do. Right, it's really just about that. They have more melanin than I do. Okay. Um, I wish it were easier. I wish the world were easier. Um, I, there are no right answers. There's no, you know, but I'm happy to have had this experience. And I wish more people had the experience because I think the whole world would be closer. Mm -hmm. You know, I just really do wish that more people had this experience. 
definitely agree, you know, um, with both of you, you know, take time for your mental health. I understand everyone is standing up and it means a lot, especially for some people who can have to be home, you know, but they're still, you know, like we talked about social media, you know, going through social media and things like that. Um, but definitely take a step back, you know, focus on your mental health if you need a break. Um, however, you know, with my son, like you said, it's it's an amazing journey that you don't even experience until you're really put in it. Um, you know, my my journey kind of has always been there because I've always kind of had, you know, friends or uh, part of the black community ever since I was little. So I've kind of always seen it and I wasn't really raised to think of them any differently. Um, and so I've kind of always seen it, but I really got immersed in it when I started, you know, dating my pet, our son. Um, but I definitely think, you know, if everyone knew and everyone just took five minutes to talk some, to someone who has had an experience and listen and don't think, okay, well, did you do that or did it? No, just sit and listen to the conversation with a clear, open mind and put yourself in that world. Everyone would be a little bit more understood and, you know, especially just take the time to, to think about what's actually going on. You know, we see all the, a whole bunch of other stuff, but we're these hidden truths that are in the world. We're not looking at these these small things that are actually pretty big. You know, everyone's like, okay, brush it off, brush it off. No, we need to stop brushing it off. And we need to stand and listen and do our duty on this planet. Yeah, and I totally agree. And that's why I'm happy that P3 gave me this platform to have all of you. And hopefully many weeks to come, every Wednesday at 6.30, you know, I'll have a panel of guests that are open-minded like the, all three of you and give insight that people need to see. And we can all talk and have an open, open conversation just like we did tonight. So thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you for thank being you. a part of the first episode. And have a good night. Bye. Thank you and good night.